But there's a saying from an old Tibetan text that goes like this. Beneath the pauper's house, there are inexhaustible treasures. But the pauper never realizes this, and the treasures never say, I am here. And a lot of the time, we can in some ways feel like a pauper in our lives. There's some kind of deficiency or some sense of we don't have all that we need or all the resources we have to either walk the path or live our life or any way we might want to consider that. And yet, beneath the house, are inexhaustible treasures. Mm. And tonight I want to talk about trust. Because in a way, when I mention the inexhaustible treasures that are beneath the house, unless we know that directly from our direct experience, we may need to find some place we can go inside that trusts that that's true. And we might be able to find that, or we might come against our doubt. Our doubt that that may be true for some people, but that's not true for me. Not under my house. (laughs) In fact, probably everybody, everybody else's house but my house. (laughs) And I can remember early on in my life, in my teens and my 20s, where I really was convinced that it was everybody else's house but mine. So something needs to happen that we begin to access this trust because I don't know I think it's a very very bumpy road without access to this trust so when we talk about trust where do we go to look for it what is this I think that oftentimes the first place we look is outside in a way what can where can we place our trust what can we put our trust in and we might look for people we can trust and try to gather those people around and build some kind of trust for ourselves that way we might trust certain things in our life that are going to give us comfort or security or, you know, sense of well-being, whatever those things are. It might be a house or a car, having a computer, whatever it is, you know, something that we can really trust is going to make our life easier, more comfortable. We might put our trust in situations. You know, if we have a good relationship or um, a good family structure or a, um, a good job, good community, 
whatever that is, we might then put our trust in that. And perhaps we think that if there, we can get enough of these things where we can really put our trust, that will give us some stability and a sense of trust. I mean, I can trust now. I have things in my life, people in my life, situations in my life that I can really trust. And this is a certain kind of trust that we talk about, and it's a kind of, it's quite acceptable kind of trust that we talk about in our uh, culture. And yet, when we start to explore and investigate life in a deeper way, then we come across a teaching as we have here and over the last few days, the teaching of impermanence. And so then we might question, well, if I have certain things in my life that I can trust, and yet all things are impermanent, then what does that say about my trust? (laughs) So it might be, you know, that I have a very trusting friend. You know, over the time, over, over some time, we've built up this trust and really feels good and safe and secure. And then something happens in an instant. Some, some difficulty, some difference of understanding or difference in way of seeing things. And all of a sudden, that trust starts getting rocky. And it's like, but I thought this was a trusted friendship. And all of a sudden, it's changing. And, and it just it doesn't even make sense where that thing came from, but yet something got triggered in that person's psyche that all of a sudden it shook the trust. And so that which we thought was so stable and so solid all of a sudden is really shaky. And then I start feeling shaky. It's like, oh, I thought this was trusty, trustworthy. Jack Cornfield gave me a gave me a, a saying the other day, uh, last a few weeks ago when I was with him. He said, "The winds of karma can change like the swish of a horse's tail." <laughs> I think it was something I must have said about something, and he just <laughs> reminded me. <laughs> The winds of karma can change like the swish of a horse's tail. So these things, these people, situations, maybe they're not quite as trusting as we think. Sometimes we even put trust in this body. You know, that this body is going to hold me up, it's going to take care of me, and all of a sudden the body starts to break down. I can't trust this body. Or my mind. I've really trusted my mind, and all of a sudden I can't even remember things anymore. What happened to this mind (laughs) that was so trusting? I could add up things, I could remember lists, you know, people's names. So it's like it starts to break apart. Sometimes people ask me, you know, I really, I, really, I really don't know how to build trust in this person because this person has done that. I've, I felt some betrayal. I felt some hurt. And, 
you know, I don't, I don't know how to build this trust. And this person is supposed to be somebody I can really trust. And I say, well, you can't put your trust in this person, you know. Trust in people, trust in friendship is something that's earned over time. This kind of trust has to be proven. We can't just trust people. It's not wise to trust people. You know, we might get this idea in our head that, you know, to be open-hearted and to be compassionate and to be loving, we trust everybody. And then we get hurt, you know, somebody says something, somebody does something, and it it just confuses us, but I trusted you. It's a kind of um, blind trust. It's it's an innocent trust. It's almost like a childlike trust or even a magical trust. You know, we'd love to be able to trust people. We'd love to be able to trust the world to give us what we want, you know, trust life to unfold a particular way. It doesn't work that way. So trust in people needs to be earned, needs to be proven. People need to show again and again and again that they are worthy of your trust. They can hold you. They can care for you. They can um, see you and, and love you in a way that you know you can feel safe and secure. That's a big, tall order. And not everybody is able to show up that way. And so sometimes when we reflect, we might ask ourselves, well, you know, if I'm really honest with myself, who can I really trust? You know, in the the deepest part of my heart, who can I really trust? When we're not deceiving ourselves and we're not trying to paint a pretty picture. And I remember some years ago when I started waking up to this truth, And it was really unsettling, you know, when I started to really reflect on trust, trust in friendship, trust in things, trust in situations, and it all started feeling very, very unstable, unreliable. And I was also very grateful to realize that there were some people that I could really put my trust in, and it felt wonderful to know that those people were there. And it helped me really discriminate between those that I could go to and I had real confidence in and those that I couldn't because I was being really honest with myself and what I needed for myself in my own being. So it makes me wonder if maybe there's... Is, is, is that the only kind of trust? Because if that's what we mean by trust, we might be in trouble (laughs) because that's trust in the world, the worldly, conventional reality. And that is very unstable. Everything comes together for some time and then it falls apart. Whatever it is, anything, any person, any situation comes together and falls apart. So the tendency, though, is to, because we don't, we don't know where to look, we don't know where to go for this refuge, that we keep going out to these things and then feel disappointed, feel hurt, feel betrayed. 
feel upset, feel confused, feel fearful, insecure, threatened, because we don't know where to place our trust. So in a way what happens is that we start to, we hold on to these things, start holding on even tighter to these things, because we start to feel that insecurity in ourselves, and we want something that's going to help us feel secure. And so we might find ourselves maybe in a relationship or something holding on even tighter when we feel that person moving away. No, don't leave, don't go away. Because you know, I, like I can't tolerate the feeling that I have when I don't have you to depend on, when I don't have you to rely on. And whatever, whatever, whatever kind of relationship that is, or whatever kind of situation we find ourselves in, when that thing starts to fall apart, when that thing starts to change, when that thing starts to take on its own nature, it's threatening. And without some understanding, without some insight, we can find ourselves falling into sometimes more fear, more uh, grasping, more desire, sometimes despair, sometimes helplessness. We We don't know what to do. So perhaps there, if that was all, if that was the way life was, if that's all there was, I think we'd be in trouble. But I think that there is something else. And it's something else that um, Hamid Ali calls basic trust. A basic trust. It's a, a trust that isn't dependent on anything. But it's a kind of confidence that we feel in ourselves a confidence that tells us that actually everything's going to be okay. That I'm going to be okay. The situation's going to be okay. Even if it starts falling apart, (laughs) I start falling apart. Even though I start to feel really fearful or things start becoming rather disastrous, there's still a confidence that things are going to be okay. And this is a very deep kind of knowing in the way things are, that there is something holding us. It's like there is some kind of net that when I start to fall, when I let go, and I need to let go, because if I'm holding on for dear life, I'm not going to find out. 
<laughs> if I'm holding on to all those things that I think is going to give me the security, I'm not going to find out. So as I start to let go, I start to sense into something that's going to hold me even when I start to fall apart and things start to fall apart. Joseph Goldstein had a very good image for this in his uh, in one of the chapters in his book from Insight Meditation, which I really love. He said, Imagine yourself dropping out of an airplane and free-falling for the first few minutes. Imagine the sense of exhilaration. But then you realize that you do not have a parachute. So you panic as you fall through space. Falling, 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 filled with terror that you do not have a parachute until a certain moment arrives when you realize that there is no ground. At that point of understanding, you just enjoy the ride. <laughs> So it's, it's really quite like that, you know. Of course we imagine there's a ground, <laughs> you know, and what's going to happen to us when we hit the ground, you know, that's how it usually is. But when we start kind of letting go into our spiritual journey, the rules start to change. <laughs> And so we start to investigate and start to explore whether it really is safe to let go. And so we start experimenting <laughs> what it's like to let go. And we begin to get a taste that, oh, yeah, maybe it is okay. It feels all right. You know, maybe I can let go a little more. <laughs> ah, yeah, it does feel a little joyful. <laughs> Maybe I'm not going to hit the ground. <laughs> and then we let go a little more. And then we let go a little more. And then we let go completely. And find out there's no ground. There's nowhere. There's nothing to hit. It's just a free fall. And that we, in some ways, can enjoy that. And we're held there. It's like we're held in that. We don't, we don't, there's nothing that we really need to be afraid of. There's nothing we need to really worry about as we fall. And of course, this kind of falling, this kind of letting go, takes a great deal of trust. You know, because, because, there's, because our, our mind is so complex, we've received so many messages from the time we were growing up that is not okay to let go. We've had to do, we have so many strategies to get by in our life, to function in our life, to take care of ourselves in our life, and it wasn't about letting go. 
it was about holding on for dear life or something would have happened to us. You know, it felt like we were holding on for our, for, for our life, for survival. And yet, as we get older and we're still holding on for dear life, something seems wrong. It's like, what am I doing? Maybe, maybe life can be a little bit easier. At least that's what the spiritual traditions say. That's what the Buddha says. You know, it's like, something's wrong here. I'm holding on too tightly. I'm very frightened. I feel very threatened by the world. I feel very unsafe and insecure. And yet the spiritual traditions are saying, it's not really like that when you let go. So it's almost as if we have to find some ground, and I'm using the word differently here, kind of some kind of ground that we can feel we can stand on, some ground of our being, some ground of some spiritual ground or something that we can feel like, okay, if I let go, there's still something I can stand on. There's still something that's going to support me. There's still something that's going to be, that's going to hold me. <clears throat> and sometimes it takes having trust in another person's experience. You know, I can't really find that in myself right now, but that person seems to have it. That person seems to know about it. So maybe I can trust their experience. They seem trustworthy <laughs> from what I can tell. There's nothing I can see that indicates that I shouldn't trust this person or their experience. So maybe I can start there and listen to what this person says and listen to these teachings or listen to this friend or this community or whatever it is. Maybe I could start there, just trusting a little bit and see what happens as I reflect on what they say and as I feel into it just a little bit. I can start there. And in some traditions this is called blind faith. You know, we put our faith, we put our trust in something, but we don't really know what we're putting our trust in to, but we're going to try it. You know, and we, in all, all religions and spiritual traditions, this is where, they, where people start. We put our trust in some body of teachings or some teacher or some community, and we say, yeah, it feels okay, I'm going to try that. It's like trying on a pair of clothes or you know, trying on a pair of shoes and seeing how it fits. See if it's right for me, if it's the right color, if it's the right, you know, style. <laughs> Do I match here? <laughs> we start there, and it's a, a really good place to start because it gives us something, it gives us some faith, some trust as we start to let go. And as we do that through the teachings and through the spiritual teachings and the people and the reflections, we start to see ourselves in a different way. It's almost like the teachings or the, the community or whatever start to hold up a mirror that we can see ourselves and see something that we haven't seen before. And oftentimes what we start to see is our own goodness. You know, and our own kindness and our, our own generosity and our, our patience and our, our goodness. 
And that through that in the interactions and through the reflections and through the practices that we take on, we start to feel in like, oh yeah, this isn't just out there, but it's actually also in here. I also have this. I also have this this place of, of goodness. I have this place of heartfulness that and, and maybe I can actually begin to rely a little bit more on that. Maybe I don't have to just rely on what I see around me, but I actually can start to let go. I can start to surrender a bit into my own capacity and my own resources for a place to stand, a place I can trust, something that feels genuine, something that feels really right, it's, it feels congruent, it feels trustworthy. You know, this is because it's, it's mine. <laughs> and, and nobody can take it away from me. I don't have to rely on anybody, but I, can, I start to feel that. I start, it starts something like some, some fountain, fountain starts to uh, bubble within me. And it starts to feel good. And I start to feel a little bit more ease, less grasping, less desire, less going out to others to look for things. I start, I can rest back into myself a little bit more. And we call that, in this tradition, we call that a bright faith. It's like the the faith starts to brighten, where the trust starts to brighten. It takes takes on a certain kind of radiance or a certain kind of a a brilliance where we can actually start to feel the warmth or the heat, we might say, of that that inner radiance that starts to come. It feels really good. And from there, we start to feel that ground. It's like the ground of our being, that dimension of our being where we actually we can stand as we are encouraged to let go. And because we have more of a ground underneath our feet, it's a little easier to let go. <laughs> so when somebody reflects to us, say, you're really holding on to that, and go, oh, wow, yeah, I'm really holding on. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't know that. The letting go happens a little easier. We see it, you know, we see something in ourselves, we see something somebody points out to us, gives us feedback or something, it's like, oh yeah. And out of the goodness of our heart and the goodness of our being, we want to let go. We want to let go more into that goodness. We want to, it's starting to feel really reliable and something very, very trustworthy. And as we continue to let go, we gain more and more confidence in this dimension of our being. We start to know where we can stand, where we can rest, where we can go to for refuge when the things of this world get too difficult we can go back into that dimension of our own self, of our own being. At this stage, this is called a verified faith or a 
uh, verify trust because it's, this experience is verified with our own seeing, with our own knowing. Nobody has to tell us anymore how it is. We don't have to look outside of ourselves to see how it is. We know. It's like the hand on the end of the arm. Nobody can say, you don't have a hand on the end of your arm. Of course I have a hand on the end of my arm. It's so clear and it's so obvious that nothing can take it away. Nothing can destroy it. This faith is real, it's authentic, and it's, in a way, it's even tangible. You know, it's so real, it's tangible that we actually feel the ground under our feet. It gives us a stability, a reliability, an uprightness, a confidence, a strength, a capacity to really deal with the things we need to deal with in our life. And the things that we need to deal with in our life are falling apart constantly. <laughs> Inner and outer. The body, the mind, the whole experience of the inner world is coming and going, falling apart, being born, falling apart, dissolving and dying. The outer world is coming together, uh, 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 collapsing, dissolving. <laughs> Nothing is staying in place. And that, but yet because we now know we have a ground, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because through insight, and letting go is deeply rooted in insight, true letting go, because we can let go when we see things the way they are, when we, we see that there's no, nothing worth holding on to, there's nothing worth holding on to, we have deep insight, and we can stand. Sometimes when we say we feel that that kind of that the burden of the ego, that scared kind of threatened part of ourselves, we say, "Well, I can't let go. I can't let go." And we can we can feel that. You probably heard that in your your own mind over this week. It's like I I can't let go, and she keeps saying, "Let go," and I can't let go, and and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to let go, and and we can just feel that whole di dilemma there. But I think that it's worth reflecting on the fact that it isn't the I that lets go. In a way, it's not really that sense of self that is scared and threatened that lets go. But it's the insight that lets go. It's like it's the wisdom, it's the coming together of the wisdom and the understanding of the way things are, that when I hold on, I suffer, and when I let go, I am free. It's that wisdom that lets go. 
And oftentimes the analogy is, is you know, that it's like we are all holding a, a, a burning ember. We're completely hot and scalding ourselves, but we don't know that we're holding the burning ember, so we don't let go. We just keep burning. <laughs> We just keep feeling the pain of that burning and that suffering. It's like the Buddha's used the example of we're, we're in a burning house and we don't know how to get out because we don't know that we're in a burning house. So in a way, it's the insight that wakes us up to the fact that we're burning. It's the insight that wakes us up to the fact that we're holding a burning coal. And as soon as we have that insight, we don't have to keep thinking about, oh, Gosh, I wonder how long I've been holding this burning coal. It's really burning and it's really hot. And gosh, I wonder what I have to do to let go of it. (laughs) We just drop it. (laughs) As soon as we recognize what we're doing, as soon as we recognize how we're holding on and the pain of that holding on, we let it go. Why in the world would we keep holding on to something that's bringing us pain and suffering if we know what we're doing? In a way, it's a good reflection because when you see yourself or you see somebody else who's holding on and really causing themselves a lot of pain and suffering, we can often have judgments about it. We have judgments about ourselves and other people. Why don't they just let go? Can't they see how stupid it is to be holding on to that person or that situation or that, you know, thing they love so much. It's like, gosh, you know, it's not a big deal. Why don't they let go? And we know, because we've seen in ourselves, that we don't know till we know. We don't know that we're holding on. And there are layers and layers and layers of that holding because all those layers create that fixation of the ego, the fixation of the sense of self. And there are layers and we can do lots of practice and lots of letting go and then we just hit another layer. (laughs) You know, another layer of fear. Another layer where it's too, too scary to let go because it doesn't seem like there is no ground. Of course there's a ground and I'm going to die if I let go. So I feel like I have to hold on for dear life. And so we just keep doing the work. We keep doing the work and we may experience very high states, very evolved states of trust, of ease, of happiness, of contentment. And then maybe we'll hit up against something again, some other place that we're holding. And it usually is some condition of life that surprises us. (laughs) Something seems to come in from left field or some, you know, something that was totally unexpected, you know, that can happen in an instant, just like that. You know, whatever it is, some news about somebody or a diagnosis or you know, accident or, you know, who knows what, you know, 9-11, just like that, just in an instant. And then all the terror, all the holding, all of the way that we haven't let go gets activated. 
And in a way, that's good news. Because how else are we going to find out that we're holding on? Otherwise, we live in a deluded state, thinking that I'm free, <laughs> I've arrived, I've reached the goal, you know, and we, we can exalt ourselves and we can put ourselves up on a pedestal, and we can make ourselves into a guru and a, a great teacher, and, you know, and then <laughs> something happens. Surprise! <laughs> More work to do. <laughs> and it seems to happen again and again and again. I don't think anybody gets off. This is one of my, uh, another favorite quote from Trungpa Trung, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who was one of the uh, very well-loved Tibetan masters um, who passed away about 10 years ago. He says, and this is another way of kind of talking about this, this, this basic trust, this knowing of what's true. He says, the lion's roar is the fearless proclamation that any state of mind, including the emotions, is a workable situation, a reminder in the practice of meditation we realize that chaotic situations must not be rejected, nor must we regard them as regressive, as return to confusion. We must respect whatever happens to our state of mind. Chaos should be regarded as extremely good news. <laughs> Isn't that a... That's a very good thing for you to remember <laughs> as we finish the retreat. <laughs> Particularly as things start to fall apart in a day and a half. You know? <laughs> so there's an, there's an implicit confidence there that anything is workable. What a different way to approach our life, to approach our relationships, to approach our situations, to approach any news that we hear about our friends, about ourselves, you know. It's workable. And what does workable mean? Because we might start to get kind of Pollyanna about it. Oh, workable means, you know, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be well. I'm going to live till, you know, 120. Or, you know, that we'll get back together. Or, you know, the house really didn't burn down. Or, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's not what we mean by workable. <laughs> Workable being something much deeper. It means even if you fall, you will be held. If you let go, things will be okay. If you let yourself not know about something, you will be guided. That the process will be moving for your benefit, 
And the benefit is that it is in service of your awakening. The process is in service of your freedom. The whole thing, this entire thing that's happening here is all in service for your awakening. It's remarkable. I actually feel moved right now. (laughs) It's all a gift. So nothing has to change. And that is the expression of deep equanimity towards life and the ability to embrace all things just as they are because we know that it's all fertilizer, you know, manure (laughs) for our awakening. (laughs) You know, manure for Bodhi we say. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, we might get to a place where it becomes painful to reject life. It gets, it, we see somebody else being, violating life in some way and it's, it's really painful because we see that they don't respect life for what it is. They've lost the sacredness. And it's really painful to see it. And then the heart moves with compassion for things to be otherwise, but not from a place of demand or anger, aversion. Things have to be otherwise but because we wish for that. We wish for all beings to know the deep sacred river that runs through life. Because it is the most precious thing that there is. And it's really a tragedy that we as human beings so easily lose connection with that stream because it is running through all things and that means here and now it's not just running out there (laughs) it's running right here (laughs) and so all it really takes is a simple shift of our perception. It's just a simple shift in the way that we see things. It's not like everything has to dramatically change. And that's the very paradoxical thing, is that actually nothing changes. There's a very famous Zen parable that says, 
Before enlightenment, mountains are mountains. During the awakening, mountains are deities and gods and dakinis flying through the cosmos. (laughs) After enlightenment, mountains are mountains. (laughs) Everything's the same. And yet it's not the same because something has radically shifted in our consciousness. And that radical shift of consciousness allows us to see everything completely differently. And what we see is that truly, fundamentally, nothing has to change. Because it can't. It can't change because there's some kind of mysterious unfolding that's happening that is totally incomprehensible. And our little mind, (laughs) the little intellectual mind that thinks it knows everything or, you know, can know everything, (laughs) cannot know, even begin to comprehend this mystery of why things happen the way they do, why things unfold the way they do. And so at some point when we deeply understand this, we kind of stop asking the question (laughs) because we know there's no answer. And it's just the mind kind of doing its thing, you know, wanting to know and wanting to understand and we can't, we can't understand. And so we let go. (laughs) We surrender. We surrender into the mystery. We surrender into the mystery itself. And because the mystery is so intelligent, it knows exactly what it's doing. We give it over. (laughs) Okay, you take care of it. (laughs) I don't have a clue what's going on. You take care of it. (laughs) I give over. And so we have all kinds of names for what we give over to. We give over to a higher power. We give over to the divine. We deeply understand this. We kind of stop asking the question (laughs) because we know there's no answer. And it's just the mind kind of doing its thing, you know, wanting to know and wanting to understand, and we can't, we can't understand. And so we let go. (laughs) We surrender. We surrender into the mystery. We surrender into the mystery itself. And because the mystery is so intelligent, it knows exactly what it's doing. We give it over. (laughs) Okay, you take care of it. (laughs) I don't have a clue what's going on. You take care of it. (laughs) I give over. 
And so we have all kinds of names for what we give over to. We give over to a higher power. We give over to the divine. We give over to God. We give over to Christ consciousness. We give over to Muhammad, to Buddha. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just a name, just a concept. But what's important is the surrender, is the letting go. And in these teachings, that letting go is very, very profound. And somehow, I have the intuition that it doesn't end. That there's not really an end to the letting go. I don't think that there is a place that we arrive at or, you know, I've let go now, so, you know, that I've, I've done, I'm done now. You know, I finished my work. <laughs> I completed the course. <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> Somehow I have a feeling that this letting go is infinite. It's some kind of wakes us up to some kind of boundless dimension, infinite dimension, where there is no end and there's no beginning. And so sometimes this is called the deathless, that which cannot die because it has never been born. So that which is unborn and deathless, infinite, boundless, no end, no beginning. So the mind that only understands beginnings and endings cannot go there. This is not the playground for the mind. This is a playground for the soul, for the being, for that which we truly are, for that which has no name. This is the invitation. And every one of you are invited. <laughs> Without exclusion. <laughs> so, I'm going to end with a couple of poems. people who, from people who know that this is true. This is from Thomas Merton. 
the great great saint, Christian saint, mystic. There is a reality that is present to us and in us. Call it being silence. And the simple fact that by being attentive, by learning to listen, or recovering the natural capacity to listen, we can find ourselves engulfed in such happiness that it cannot be explained. The happiness of being at one with everything in that hidden ground of care for which there can be no explanation. And Thomas Merton says, May we all grow in grace and peace and not neglect the silence that is printed in the center of our being. It will not fail us. This is from T.S. Eliot. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. Still there is faith, but the faith and the hope and the love are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not yet ready for thought. And then the darkness shall be light, and the stillness the dancing. And I'll just end with this poem I love of Naomi Shihab Nye called The Song. From somewhere a calm musical note arrives. You balance it on your tongue, a simple ripe grape, till your whole body glistens. In the space between breaths you apply it to any wound and the wound heals. Soon the nights will lengthen. You will lean into the year humming like a saw. You will fill the lamps with kerosene, knowing somewhere a line breaks, a city goes black. People dig for their candles in the bottom drawer. But you will be ready. You will use the song like a match. It will fill your rooms, opening rooms of its own, so you sing, I did not know my house was this large. I did not know my house was this large. Let's sit together for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.